Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. I am really excited for this one because this is in particular an area that I need to do some work in and that I need to kind of hone in my skills a little bit more. So I'm going to be the dutiful student here, just like all of you. Um, so if you are anything else, like so many people out there, you're going to really benefit from this conversation between uh, Jesse Birnbaum and myself. Jessie Birnbaum is an undergraduate admissions counselor at her alma mater, and she will be attending uh, the School of Social Work at Boston University to ultimately become a therapist who specializes in treating OCD. How cool is that? Um, so since getting diagnosed with OCD as a young child and learning ERP, she's become super passionate about helping other people. And this is a unique twist on the episode today because we're going to talk a lot about chronic illness and how that really is exacerbated by OCD and can exacerbate OCD and back and forth. So she, how cool is this, you guys? She co-founded she co the IOCDF Chronic Illness and Disability Special Interest Group, and she helps lead virtual meetups for the IOCDF Young Adult Special Interest Group before this conversation, I didn't even know that that existed. So as involved as I am in this community to not know that this exists, now hopefully so many other people are going to know that this exists. So Jesse, thank you so much for being here today. I cannot wait to hear more of your story. So we would love to hear just a little bit about you first and foremost, and kind of a little bit about your story, what it was like being a kid with OCD and how chronic illness started to play a role in all of that. Yeah, thank you so much, Jenna. I'm super excited to be here today. Um, so yeah, it's kind of two very long stories, but I'll, I'll try to condense them as best I can. Basically, I've had OCD my whole life, but um, as you know, it takes a really long time to get a diagnosis. So I actually wasn't diagnosed until around age 14, um, and I'm 23 now. So I've done a lot of exposure and response prevention therapy, um, and I'm really lucky to have found a great therapist um, and kind of get that OCD under control. Um, but then starting in 2020, it, it did not coincide with the pandemic. Um, oddly enough, I started getting really sick physically. Um, so I was a sophomore in college and just started getting these awful headaches and all of this stuff kind of kept happening that every month I would get sicker. Um, I would get new symptoms. The old ones wouldn't go away, but new ones would keep coming in. Um, I ended up getting misdiagnosed with Crohn's disease. So I was actually on chemo treatments for a disease I never had. Um, and then an amazing doctor kind of realized like, this isn't what you have. Um, and since then, I've just really been trying to get a diagnosis. I was recently at the Mayo Clinic, um, have undergone a ton of testing. Um, but throughout all of this, 
Uh, my OCD definitely finds its way to weave in. Um, and then the chronic illness, as you were saying, um, the chronic illness will make OCD worse. OCD will make the chronic illness work. So um, it's definitely something I'm really passionate about. I, unfortunately, I'm not surprised at one, how long it took you to get diagnosed and two, the fact that you were literally being given treatment for something that you didn't have. So, yeah. um, so many people out there are like, yep, that happened to me. That happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so what was your experience like as you started to actually get into ERP and as you actually started to find things that worked for you, like what was that process like? And when did that all start to play out? Yeah, so I feel like I honestly don't remember the number of therapists I had because I was a kid. Like it was around, I want to say I was like 10 when my parents were like, something's going on here. Um, a lot of my obsessions were um, about the house and like the house I grew up in, even though I lived in like a very safe suburban neighborhood, I was terrified of intruders. Um, and so I was terrified that intruders were going to come in and that our alarm system was going to go off. Um, and so I would check all of the doors and under every bed and literally everything you could check, I would check. Um, and I think my parents then realized like, what the heck, this kid isn't sleeping. Like she's just constantly checking all these doors. Um, so then we sought out treatment. Of course, we had no idea what ERP was. Oh, sorry, my water just spilled. <laughs> um, we didn't know what ERP was. So I kind of went from therapist to therapist until I found someone who was specialized in ERP treatment and realized this is OCD. Um, and it was terrifying. Like I remember building the hierarchy um, and doing the easy ones. And I was like, okay, I could do this. But then I remember getting more towards my top exposures and being like, oh my gosh, she's actually going to make me do this. Okay. And that makes total sense, right? It usually takes a long time for people. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on um, kind of as you go through that trajectory of being in your hierarchy, going up. And that's okay. You know, if you're out there and you're a little bit intimidated by the whole ERP process, it is totally normal to feel a little bit intimidated by it. I have tons of resources to go over that and what to expect with ERP. A good therapist will work with you. Not a problem. But how cool that throughout that whole entire experience, you were able to, you know, turn that into good and turn that into your passion for advocating. And now you have co-founded this amazing special interest group that you, you needed it, right? Like this is something that you needed, but you couldn't find. So before we get into talking about the parallels of chronic illness and OCD, talk to me about the importance of this special interest group and how you started to become more of an advocate in your own journey. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you're exactly right. It was something I really couldn't find anywhere. So I found OCD support groups to be super helpful after my therapist was like, yeah, I think you should, should go to some support groups. And I was like, nah, I don't know about that. Um, and then totally loved them and felt such a sense of community. And it really helped me with not feeling so alone and addressing kind of that stigma that does exist. Um, so then I had met someone in some of these OCD support groups who had mentioned at one point that they had a chronic illness. And as I was going through this chronic illness journey, um, I was looking for different resources for those with chronic illness. 
because as someone who's younger with a chronic illness, so 23, you know, you don't see a lot of 23 year olds in hospital waiting rooms or in doctor's appointments. You typically see people who are of a much older age. Um, so I felt really alone. None of my friends are going through any of this. Um, so I looked online for different chronic illness support groups. Um, and again, without being not having a diagnosis really for my chronic illness yet, it's not like I could look up, you know, I didn't have the title to search. Um, so felt really alone and ended up asking that person, you know, do you have any resources? Um, and she was like, no, there's nothing out there. Um, and so we thought it would be a great idea um, because we had heard from other advocates too and people living with chronic illness that OCD really plays a part in their chronic illness. So it's been really awesome um, to have that community now through the special interest group um, because a lot of people have said they really do feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I have worked personally with so many clients who just feel like they're in this cycle of stuck. Like they could have the best X factors that I think are necessary for really amazing responsiveness to OCD treatment. But when they're also battling this chronic illness, it just knocks them on their butt. And so I would love to chat about the parallels, right? Because I see just like in the stories that you are describing here in your own experiences, there's, there's gaslighting, right? There's probably Mm -hmm. so much gaslighting of, you know, well, kind of undermining your pain or undermining your symptoms from the chronic illness standpoint. And also from the OCD standpoint, there's obviously such a long time that it takes you to get the right diagnosis. There's a lot of misdiagnosis and confusion and just poor (laughs) medical and mental health kind of procedures all around. So talk to us about kind of some of the overlaps and the parallels. There's so much in common when it comes to chronic illness and OCD. So would love to love to hear you dive into all of that. Yeah, well, I think you nailed it right there with the length of time for a diagnosis is just so long. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 14 to 17 years to get diagnosed with OCD. Um, And then I know for rare disease, it's 7.6 years, um, which is so long. So, um, and as you were saying, there's a lot of misdiagnosis that happens within that time frame that kind of extends that time frame and makes it even longer. Um, It's also really hard to find the right practitioner. So as I was saying with my OCD journey, I went through probably like five or six different therapists um, before I found the right fit, a therapist who specialized in ERP and who um, I would work really well with. Um, And it's kind of the same thing for chronic illness. So I live in North Carolina and I now have doctors in three different states because it's been so hard to find a good doctor, a doctor who will work with me, a doctor who specializes in the thing that they think I have at that month. Um, So that's really challenging. Um, Another thing is that it's largely invisible. So um, with OCD, that was always a really hard thing for me as a kid um, and even in college. And now is that, you know, others don't see that you're constantly struggling Um, I think at times it would look like I was doing great, even to my family members or closest friends when I was really struggling um, inside and inside my head. Um, And that could be very similar with chronic illness. Like 
people don't see when I have a really bad headache or I feel really fatigued at like three o'clock. Um, it's largely invisible. So it's not like you have a cast and everyone's like, oh, what happened? Can I help? How are you doing? Um, so that invisibility part of it um, has been really challenging. And then you just have that um, aspect of feeling different. Um, I always felt different as a kid. I thought I was the only one like going to therapy, doing all these rituals. Um, and even now I still feel very different being a young adult with a chronic illness. Yeah, you make such a good point when it comes to the cast, right? Like I, <laughs> our neighbor, uh, our neighbor kid, he just broke his arm and he <sighs> left school that day and he felt like the coolest kid ever. Like he yeah. <laughs> cast, he thought that it was the coolest thing ever. Everyone was signing it. Everyone was like, oh my God, what'd you do? And it's like, uh, yeah, when it comes to the mental health stuff, you don't get to see it. And it's definitely not received like that. So um, talk to me a little bit about how your OCD slash anxiety symptoms play, if at all, against your chronic illness. Like I'm sure I'm almost envisioning a Venn diagram in my head. Yeah, There's for some people you know, and it's going to be different for every single one, how, how much overlap or how little overlap there is. There's probably on one part of that circle, just very clearly OCD related issues and problems and symptoms on the other circle, there's probably chronic illness related issues, right. Mm -hmm. That are separate from OCD and vice versa, but then there's probably a big overlap. So, um, talk to me for you about that overlap, especially as it relates to like your OCD symptoms, how that shows up for you in a day-to-day, -day, all that stuff. Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that too, um, because we used a Venn diagram to be able to explain, um, the importance of the SIG, um, and why we started it. Because, um, even when I did find like one or two chronic illness groups, um, people involved in those would say something and I would be like, oh, my OCD would never let me do that. Um, so there's so much overlap. I think there's mainly two um, pieces of overlap that impact me the most. Um, the first one is that my OCD will often tell me, like, you're making this up. Um, and I've had doctors say too, like, oh, are you sure this isn't just anxiety? You know, they read my chart and they see I've been diagnosed with anxiety and OCD. And they're like, well, you know, that could be at play here. And it, it definitely is at play, but it's not everything. Um, but I'll have a lot of thoughts about like, maybe you are just making this up because, um, you know, with a headache, you don't see that either. Like there's no evidence to be able to show like, look here, um, I remember being so excited when I had my first like big reaction where I had to go to the hospital. I was like, look, it's real um, because I was trying to prove my OCD wrong and just wanted that certainty. Um, and the other main thing is actually um, it's a form of relationship OCD. You probably wouldn't think of off the top of your head, but I have a lot of thoughts about the doctors. Um, I worry that I'm messaging them too much. Um, a lot of them will have like these portals where in between doctor's appointments, you can ask them questions. Um, so I'll typically try not to. So I'll kind of engage in some avoidance where I won't message them because I don't want to bother them. Like 
I don't know if they're getting paid for answering these portal responses. So I try not to message them. And then if I do message them, I get worried. I'm like overloading them. So there's a lot of, and like, I remember too, my mom and I will often go to a lot of different appointments and my dad um, will ask like, how did the appointment go? And I remember I met with an allergist recently and I told my dad, oh, it went really well. I think he liked me. And my dad was like, well, was he a good doctor? And I was like, no, dad, like he laughed at my joke. Like, I think it'll be good. And he was like, what did he say about the medical stuff? Um, because I'm so concerned that these doctors, like I want them to like me. I want them to think I'm a good patient. Um, and that gets in the way, um, especially when you're having to meet with so many different doctors. Um, it's kind of hard to have to deal with that all the time. It almost seems like you have to prove your credibility. Yes, yes, exactly. Which like, that's not, that shouldn't be on you, right? And I know yeah. I know, you know that, but that shouldn't be on you. That should be on your medical team or your mental health team to be, to, to be listening to you, right? And to be open and all of that stuff. But yeah, I can just imagine the exhaustion and the dread and like just the overall kind of mental fatigue that I personally would feel <laughs> constantly feeling like I have to justify myself and put on like the best presentation. Like I'm a good patient. I'm a good patient. That's exhausting. So, but I totally can understand why you'd feel like you had to, to react that way. Um, so talk to me about how during your ERP process, and I know as a therapist myself who treats individuals who have this overlap, it can become tricky sometimes, right? Like there mm -hmm. might be these individuals where I'm typically, you know, pushing them, you know, I'm expecting a, a, a step above what it is that they're giving me as far as, you know, I know you want to stay here, but I need you to push it to the next level. And I'm happy to take that stance with them. And that's kind of what helps them get to that next level, of course. But when it comes to flares or exhaustion, or they're just not feeling themselves, you know, having to cancel appointments, um, all of those things, uh, it can really take a, a, a tool on the ERP process and it can require us to have to pivot a little bit. So um, talk to me about ways in which it impacted your ERP process treatment wise. And then I would love for you to go over like specific examples. I think just validating for people, you know, like it's okay that you have to cancel your sessions because of your chronic illness, <laughs> like your therapist should validate that. Right. So if you could just explain for yourself and then validate some examples, that would be really great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And f having flares is something that's very challenging, especially with someone with OCD, because a flare up of symptoms, it comes kind of like, it's very unpredictable. Like you don't know when you're going to have a flare up of symptoms. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty in that, um, which of course OCD loves um, and I hate. Um, but that will definitely impact me in which I'll have a really hard day where I'm really not feeling well. One of my big symptoms is um, feeling like I'm really itchy, like kind of like feeling like I've been like placed in like poison oak or something like that. It's very uncomfortable. Um, so when you're like constantly in that state where you're so uncomfortable, it can be really hard to then focus on doing ERP. So I know I've heard a lot of people in our special interest group mention that it can be hard to explain that to a therapist sometimes, because as you were saying, like 
pushing us as the patients is really important and that's what gets us better. Um, so that's definitely something I've had to work through as well. Um, I think something else too is educating the therapist. I, thankfully, um, my therapist actually has a chronic illness. So that's been um, not thankfully that she has one, but thankfully she understands um, a lot of my experience. So that has been really helpful. Um, but there can be a lot of different nuances because they are so similar um, in which a therapist might think something's a compulsion, whereas it's actually just kind of important for the chronic illness. Um, one example of that is I know we talk a lot in like the OCD world of like, don't go to Google, like Google is gonna um, explain all this horrible stuff. And, you know, Google can just send you down a rabbit hole. But for me, when I've had all of these like, kind of odd symptoms, and they all kind of happen, like, randomly, I do have to Google and kind of see like, what the best like what other people have done in Facebook groups or stuff like that, because these are kind of rare um, symptoms. Um, so one example of that is after I left the Mayo Clinic, um, a dermatologist had actually given me a like rare disease diagnosis that I'd never heard of before, um, that none of the doctors near me had ever heard of before. And I started Googling and ended up finding research papers of a different diagnosis that I currently think I have that is not backed on scientific <laughs> evidence, but um, I... I really have to put in that time just because like the doctors are amazing, but they're not spending extra hours after um, their shifts to like really figure out what's going on. So I've kind of found this diagnosis that I'm now kind of trying to figure out, which never would have been found otherwise, because I had to kind of Google and put in the time of doing that research, whereas that could very easily be seen as a compulsion. And maybe it is a little compulsive. Um, but it also has been important in my um, experience. Um, and then the other thing is just like getting second opinions from doctors has been really important for me. If not, I would probably still be on chemo for the disease I didn't have. Um, so I kind of have to go see a bunch of different doctors um, and I could see how that would also seem very compulsive um, from an OCD stance. That's so got to be so tricky and so complicated for you yeah. as a person. I, you know, as a, as a therapist, I, it's my job to help people navigate. Well, this is how you determine whether this is a compulsion or whether it's not, this is how you determine what you should do, you know, make decisions based on your values versus fear, blah, blah, blah. How do you make decisions about, you know, do you go online and Google? How do you make decisions based on whether you go to a second doctor or a third doctor? Like, how do you make decisions when it can get so muddy like that? Yeah, I wish I could say I was like better at this. <laughs> but I think a big thing too has been then, of course, it's become a compulsion of like trying to figure out like, is this chronic illness? Is this OCD? And I kind of now have to just make a quick, a quick stance of like, I'm going to do this or I'm not. And like, it doesn't matter. Like I live in the uncertainty, like maybe it is OCD. Maybe it is my chronic illness, but I'm going to decide to see this doctor and like live with that decision. Um, another thing that's been really helpful is my mom doesn't have OCD 
And she's been through this whole experience with me. So kind of going off of her guidance of like, no, we really need to see another doctor. Um, or she's also very good at saying like, Jesse, let's go with what this doctor said. And like, maybe in a couple weeks, if, you know, things aren't getting better, we could then search for that second opinion. Yeah. And I love how you, at some point, you just have to make a decision, right? I can imagine. And this happens with other subtypes too, and other people who don't necessarily have a chronic illness, but it's like, so you can get so OCD about what is OCD and you can get stuck about like, well, is that really a compulsion or is that not? And then I see people just doing nothing and they stay in the void of avoidance and they just continue to spin their wheels and do nothing. And I'm like, okay, the exposure at that point is to just make a decision and freaking move on with your life. Right. Like like at some point you're right. You have to make the decision. Like I either am going to Google this or I'm not, and I'm not going to sit here and beat myself up over it and ruminate about whether it was or whether it wasn't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a decision either to, or not to do this thing. And that's that. So I really love that you highlighted that. Um, talk about how, I mean, this has probably, this whole experience of you having a chronic illness has probably led you to some of your biggest exposures, right? Like your whole medical journey has probably made you feel super anxious, just very situationally. Right. So talk to me about how your medical journey kind of has forced you to face some of your biggest exposures. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, um, some of my biggest exposures have been, um, I guess ROCD plays a bigger role in my life than I had considered, uh, before, uh, this conversation right now, but in college, a lot, I had a lot of intrusive thoughts about, my friends and that I would um I would miss events a lot or like like I didn't want to um not do things with them and what did they think about me and did they really want me to be at things and um just like a lot of I was very heady um around my friends and wanting the friendship to go well um And then I got this chronic illness and I was a pretty horrible friend, right? Like I'm in the hospital all the time. Um, My friends, actually, it's a very sweet story. The first time I was in the hospital, um, they heard from someone else because I like didn't have my phone. I had actually passed out in the school library, which was pretty embarrassing. Um, But they came and like brought me a blanket and food um, to the hospital. And then they immediately got kicked out by all the people there because of COVID. They're like, how did you even get in? They like snuck into the hospital. So I have really great friends. Um, but I canceled on things all the time because nothing was predictable. So I would have plans to go somewhere and then wasn't able to go because 10 minutes before I started having severe abdominal pain, Um, I ended up missing out on, um, they all went to um, a trip. So they went on a trip to go skiing in Colorado because one of my friends is from there. Um, And I was so excited. Like I had the plane tickets booked and then I had a horrible flare right before um, and had to go home. And so I had to tolerate a lot of those intrusive thoughts of like, they're having so much fun without you. They're realizing they're better off without you. Um, so I had a lot, um, of mindfulness to do during that week, um, and kind of had to realize like, yeah, I might be a sucky friend right now, but 
you know, this is kind of my life. So that was very challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, it just, it comes up in so many ways. The, like you said, the relationship OCD, the, you know, sense of responsibility, like missing events, all of that. So it is a freaking journey to deal with these two things at the same time. So I kind of want to just know how you're doing now. Like, how are you, what is it like for you on a good day? What is it like for you on a bad day? And what does recovery look like for you? Yeah. So thankfully I have a really awesome, um, team at work. So I work in undergraduate admissions and they're amazing in that, like, I am able to go to doctor's appointments during the day. That can also be really challenging because, you know, I have therapy once a week and then I also have different things will come up. So I have to see the allergist or the gastroenterologist and, um, it can be very challenging to have to leave work, but I have such a great team and I'm really lucky to be able to do that. Um, so I have been doing really well in the sense of like, I kind of allow myself to be this subpar employee in terms of attendance, um, which was a struggle at first, but um, I'm still managing, you know, both the OCD as well as the chronic illness. And um, I am in a good place with my OCD too. I feel really lucky to have such a great therapist and to be able to, I feel like I really get it now. Like I, I'm able to tell like when I'm ruminating or I'm engaging in a compulsion, I can really spot it quite quickly. Um, but there are definitely times where I'm in a flare up of one or the other OCD or chronic illness when um, shit kind of hits the fan and I feel like I don't use my tools as well. Um, but I feel really lucky in that I know what the tools are. For sure. And yeah, it just seems like you have so much support, which is really incredible because I mean, having to take off for therapy is one thing having to take off for therapy, plus all of these other appointments, plus when you just don't feel good, right. You really need someone who kind of understands and can be there for you and not make you feel like you're constantly having to like make up for it, I guess. I would imagine that you probably feel like that sometimes too. And other people listening probably feel like that too, that, that, you know, they feel like they constantly have to compensate for what they're not able to do as well as quote unquote, someone else. I know the clients that I've worked with, they, if they need to take a break or if they need to do this, they feel like, okay, well then they just need to work two times as hard whenever they get back to work. And it's, <laughs> it's messed up. Yeah. And I, I definitely experienced that as well. And that like, I had to miss a lot of school um, when I was still an undergrad. And I felt like, wow, I need to really knock these tests out of the park to show them that I still did the work and I still care about the class and I was paying attention. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you are talking about tools, right? Like, you know, using your tools, all of that stuff, having support. One of the tools that we love in ERP is this concept of getting to sit with uncertainty and act with uncertainty and being able to tolerate that more and more since that is such a huge problem with OCD, right? The, the doubt disorder, mm -hmm. the difficulty tolerating uncertainty and chronic illness can truly be the ultimate unknown, right? You don't know 
like you said in the beginning of your journey, you didn't even know what you were struggling with. You didn't even know what it was. Um, sometimes you don't even know, you know, whether you should go see this doctor or not. And so talk to me about how, you know, whether that having to sit with uncertainty, just how that plays out in your experience of having a chronic illness. Yeah, it's been so tough. Um, because as we've said before, like, with OCD, you just want that certainty and you want to know. Um, and for me, I think the most difficult part of my chronic illness journey has actually been not having that set diagnosis. So when I thought I had Crohn's disease, it was still very challenging, but I knew I had Crohn's and I knew it was this real diagnosis and I couldn't really, I mean, I still, OCD still found its way to weasel it in there. Um, all those thoughts, but um, I really felt like I knew what was going on and I had that certainty, but going through this medical system of constantly trying to figure out what's going on and um, uh, a way I used to explain to some of my friends is like, there's no par for the course when there is no course. Like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what new symptom will come. Um, and there's the daily uncertainty we live with, with like, what will the weather be tomorrow? Or how will my day go tomorrow? Um, but I also have that added layer of like, what crazy new symptom is going to strike me tomorrow? Um, and I don't know what it'll be. And I've definitely struggled with that uncertainty because um, it is the ultimate unknown. Like, what's going to come tomorrow? And when are they going to figure this out? Like, I kind of have no idea. Yeah. And you have to deal with that so much more than, than the average person. And that can be really, really difficult. But um, yeah, I guess what would you say to people out there who do have chronic illness alongside their OCD? And then I would love to know too, what you would tell therapists who are working with people who have chronic illnesses and OCD at the same time. Yeah. Um, so that's actually something we're working on in the special interest group is trying to um, come up with some pieces of how to help people. I would say with people who have this overlap um, to definitely try to find that support. I feel like just being able to speak to um, the friend I started the interest group with has just been pivotal in my recovery and understanding of chronic illness just because it's so helpful to have someone else who gets it. Um, so I I don't love all the like Facebook groups and stuff. You never know what you're going to find. I guess there's uncertainty in that too. Um, but it can be really helpful to join groups uh, online. There's so many different things out there um, of people who go through, whether it be chronic illness or rare disease or your specific um, chronic illness. It always makes me feel better. Um, not in a, I don't think it's in a reassurance way, but just seeing like other people go through this and other people live with this and they're able to manage it um, and come out stronger. Um, I'll say for therapists too, um, it can be really helpful to just ask the client, like, tell me a bit more about what you go through day to day. Um, because similar to how OCD presents so differently in people, um, so can any type of chronic illness. Um, two people with Crohn's disease are going to look very different, similar to two people with OCD. 
Um, so just kind of learning from them and learning how it kind of um, interacts maybe with OCD, but also how um, it changes that person's daily life can be really helpful. Super, super helpful. I will definitely keep that in mind moving forward with my own clients. Um, I'm also so excited to get to tell them about the special interest group because I know we are just super lacking as far as resources go for this community. So I will make sure to put all of that in the show notes. I'll make sure to put more about you, Jesse, and um, what you guys do in the show notes. Um, before we wrap up, I love to ask people um, who come on the podcast called all the hard things, you know, especially in ERP, I kind of have to promote doing hard things, right? And not just because, <laughs> right? But because it's good to do the hard thing now so that you can be better later, right? It's good to to advocate for yourself so that you can get the help that you need. It's good to resist the compulsion so that you can eventually make OCD weaker. I love the idea of doing the hard things. Why do you think it's important and good to do hard things? Oh, good. I thought you're going to ask me what hard thing have I done today? And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I have. <laughs> um, I think just as you were saying, it's important because it makes us so much stronger and so much better in recovery, but also even past recovery. I feel like the school, the skills I've learned in ERP and throughout all my different experiences have made me a wiser person, have made me a stronger person. Um, than I ever would have been had I not had these different diagnoses. I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Jesse, can you really quickly, for those who are just listening and, and before they head to the show notes, let people know where they can find more about this special interest group and where they can find more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you go on the IOCDF's website, so the International OCD Foundation um, and you go to special interest groups or SIGs, um, you could just type that in online. Um, there are a bunch of awesome SIGs. So I would recommend looking at um, all the different ones that kind of catch your eye. Um, but ours is called um, chronic illness slash disability and OCD. So really catchy, really rolls off the tongue. Um, but it's kind of like the there. Jenna Overbaugh masterclass community. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I, I do a lot of stuff, but I'm not good at naming things. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, and that naming is a hard thing, right? <laughs> so, um, then we also have, um, an Instagram page where we talk about chronic illness and OCD and that's at chronically.courageous. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jesse, for being here. It was just really a joy to hear from you, to finally meet you. I feel like I've seen your face a lot and it's really good to have this conversation. I know it's going to help so many people. So thank you so much for being here. For those of you who are interested in learning more, I, again, will be sure to put all of that in the show notes. So Jesse, thank you so, so much for everything that you do, for hanging in there, for being an advocate and for not letting the absence of what you needed deter you from making it for yourself and for other people. I think that is so amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant 
free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in and until next time, keep doing all the hard things.